Hey everyone, Christy McClellan here, and I want to invite you to a brand new event from Lifeway Women called Feast. At this event, you'll be invited to feast on God's Word by studying the Bible in its historical, cultural context. We're going to get to know the Bible in its world, in its native habitat, text, and context. You'll experience teaching, worship led by my 25-year friend, Laura Cooksey, and fellowship with other women around the world. Come and learn with me that the living God is better than we ever knew. Visit LifeWay.com slash Feast to learn more. This is the Mark Podcast from LifeWay Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Did you know we have a weekly newsletter? Each Tuesday, we'll drop some encouragement and good news in your inbox. If you're looking for the latest Bible study releases, events near you, giveaways, scripture reading plans, free downloads, and more, sign up at lifeway.com forward slash women's news. Welcome to the Marked Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Heineman, and I am here with my co-host, Kelly King. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Elizabeth. Well, we have a new friend today on I the know. Marked Podcast, so we're super excited for you to get to know Amy Beck Lee. So, Amy, welcome to the Marked Podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. yeah. Tell us just a little, you know, since we don't really know you that well and our audience doesn't know you very well, we'd love to hear a little bit about you and just your where you live, family, ministry, all those kinds of things. Sure. Um, I'm, I guess, the things that occupy my time most these days are writing and um, homeschooling my two girls. They're nine and 12. Um, and I have a husband to whom I've been married for about 16 years now. We live in Colorado Springs. And I guess my ministry is just basically that of a ordinary life, mostly <laughs> just going about from day to day. Um, that I do some writing for the Anselm Society and um, Cultivating and the Rabbit Room these days. Yeah. I love that. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, homeschooling is definitely a ministry. Uh, and that's a full-time so, job, yeah. right? You <laughs> yeah. know? I was yeah. homeschooled as a kid, so I know <laughs> oh. I understand that that is uh, definitely a full-time gig. So, mm-hmm. yes. and It's a good one. Yeah, yeah it is. So you have a new book coming out called This Homeward Ache. So tell us a little bit about the book and what inspired you to write it. Sure. Um, This Homeward Ache is about a longing that uh, I encountered when I was fairly young. I think around about nine, ten years old was the earliest brush that I can remember with it. But basically the easiest way for me to explain it is it's the kind of longing that I think a lot of people feel when they hear a song that makes them cry or they see um, just a view that takes their breath away. Or I was listening to somebody describe their reaction to a scene in The Lord of the Rings 
the other day and how it kind of gave them a sense of homesickness that they couldn't describe. Mm. And so that ache, um, I had my own journey with it. Um, and I just kind of assumed that that was my story, that that was just mm. part of, you know, uh, my story that didn't necessarily resonate with everybody. But I had the good fortune in the past um, 10 years, I would say, of coming into communities where I started meeting people who knew what that felt like. And that felt like a gift to me that I, you know, had these people who could relate to it. And the more those discussions went on, um, there were always people who would stop and say, well, what are we supposed to do with this? Is it just supposed to be something that kind of grabs you for a second and then you don't know what to do with it? And then, you know, the resume button uh, is hit on your life and you go back to doing the dishes or folding laundry. Um, And so because I could see the way that that longing had gradually started to seep into the different areas of my life that I was trying to bring um, to the Lord, and I could see how it was starting to transform that, I started, I think, getting this hunger to write down this story, not as a prescription you know, manual or anything like that, but as a companion to people who are walking that journey, who have felt it um, and who want to keep kind of the tenderness of where it um, brings you. Um, And so I started just going on that journey step by step. And I think every step of the publishing journey was a step of obedience or it felt that way to me. But that's basically how the book came to be. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking through some of the things that you said, and when you think about that theme of, of place, and that kind of is where, you know, there's a lot of prominence of that word and that feeling of place, and you think about life and interest, and then I, I think we try to, like, how do we embrace that physically? How do we understand where our place is, and how does that help us look to the future of where our home? Because we, we do have this kind of feeling of home here and on earth, mm-hmm. but also the desire of a future home, right? Right. So how, do, how, how would you say that that fits in together? Right. Well, the link for me, I think, was in, I guess, the epiphany part was realizing that the, the longing was pointing to something that is promised and has been promised by God, you know, in scripture and um not just in a nebulous way. I'm thinking of um, certain scenes from Anne of Green Gables or that whole series where a little boy thinks it's going to be about harps and, Mm -hmm. you know, sitting on clouds, but that there is a concrete reality and that there is a concrete promise that has been made about the new heaven and the new earth. Um, If our longing is pointing us towards that reality, then how does that change the places that we're living in now? I think both both are affecting the other. So I think the the promise of what's to come helps us to embrace the places where we are now and also embracing what we're doing now in the kingdom, in the harvest, and watching for the glory of God. Uh, those things further help us to keep looking forward to what is to come. So I think, um, I guess on a grand overview, that's what I see happening in my own life and in the lives of people around me. And um I think in the specifics, it just, it helps me to realize that the things that we do here aren't insignificant. It's like, these are the seeds. This is the 
early stages, this is where we see the kingdom breaking in and the fullness we're going to see um, when this earth is no longer in its old shell form and we are no longer in these bodies anymore. But but there's so much that he's given here to do already. So I guess that's kind of the connection I see. Yeah, Yeah. Amy, I'm curious. Um, just because I'm thinking, okay, you live in Colorado Springs. Have you mm-hmm. lived in different places and how have you maybe even experienced that maybe displacement in, in a physical way of being in different, I mean, I don't know what your story is there, but how does that, I mean, I know a lot of people move around a lot and they mm-hmm. they miss different things about different homes or different places. What's your story in that? Sure. Uh, well, I was born in Blacksburg, Virginia. And we lived there till I was about five or six. And then we moved to Boone, North Carolina. We lived there for about six years. And then we moved to Seoul um, in South Korea. And we lived there for about six years. I think I'm seeing a pattern here. Um, And then we moved back to Blacksburg for my senior year of high school. And then I went from there to Charlottesville, Virginia for college and graduate school. And then um, at that point, I was married and had a baby on the way, and then we moved to Colorado Springs. So this is the longest we've been in one place. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So definitely, yes, a feeling of displacement has kind of marked a lot of steps on that journey. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think about, like, um, kind of what you said about this homesickness, this feeling of, like, eternal homesickness that we have and just the way that where we currently are plays into that. Right. It kind of almost like having a place that we're homesick for now kind of teaches mm-hmm. us that longing, kind of like what you were mm-hmm. saying. It it kind of points toward the future longing. We, we're homesick for a place that we've never been that is like so much better yeah. than the places here on earth that we're homesick for every once in a while. So that's something mm-hmm. to, to like look at as a reminder because I think we can often be like, oh, well, this is this place is not our home. And so we can start to think like, okay, well, then I'm not going to make my home here. I'm not going to mm-hmm. cultivate um, roots. I'm not going to try mm-hmm. to be here because this is not my forever home. Um, right. And I think that's that's actually the opposite of what you're saying. You're saying that it can almost like teach us to yeah, like, look I, to the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And to dig in more where you are now. Because yeah. this is where you see him. This is where we're walking with mm-hmm. him and growing with him. And so, um, yeah, I think if we're if we're doing that and not holding back, you know, as if we're waiting for the true journey to begin, then we begin to see um, far more of God than we might otherwise. Yeah. And your book talks yeah. about those little yeah. like glimpses of the beyond um, and mm-hmm. other cultures. I'm going to let you I'm going to let you say the words that <laughs> yeah, other we cultures were like, call we're them. letting her do that. Um, <laughs> but how can we look for those in our everyday lives? First, give us those give us a few of those other words and other languages. And then how can we look for those glimpses in our everyday lives? Yeah. Oh, well, (laughs) I'm no expert either. (laughs) Um, I've definitely been schooled by friends (laughs) in how to print out some of them. And I know my um, my German guttural sound isn't quite good enough either. But um, so moments like Sehnsucht um, or Saudaji or Hiraith or Kalmang um, are some of the ones that I mentioned in my book, just because um, they there seems to be a commonality in these longings across cultures and they Mm -hmm. all have different quirks and qualities and flavors to them, I think. But there, to me, there seems to be a common thread that 
when we're trying to explain this longing, almost always the definition is for, for a place that you haven't been mm-hmm. or a place that is no longer reachable or um, something that you know is just out of reach. And so um, I'm sorry, I think your second question was how can we make room? How can we look for those how in can our we look for lives? Them? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think to me those instances – as far as I can trace in my own journey have been moments of grace, um, almost like not, so not something that I could manufacture, not, not even something that I could set up like and be in the right place and say, okay, I'm ready for, (laughs) I'm ready to be hit by this. Um, even revisiting places or sites or scenes or passages in books, um, that it's a very elusive thing. It's not something that comes for the asking, I think. Um, but I think there is a way for us to be more attentive to instances when it happens. And it could just be something as simple as um, I think what um, other people have called paying attention to what makes you cry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could also, I think, when we're leaving room for that, when we're not being so caught up in the hush and we're in the not the hush, sorry, the hurry and the rush of life that we're um, – that our minds are too crowded, our hearts are too crowded to pay attention to those things, then it's definitely more difficult. But I think um, generally paying attention and keeping a slower cadence in life, leaving room and margin for quiet and stillness, I think all of those things help in terms of being receptive to where it is that God is breaking through Mm. to us and allowing us to have that taste, that foretaste almost of what is coming so that we, I think what it does, having those glimpses, is it helps us to order the loves in our life back into the right place so that we're not taking the insignificant things and placing them at the top, but we're, we're living for what will last, essentially. Yeah. Okay, I'm thinking of this, these verses, Amy, and I'm like, tell me if Kelly's I'm, pulling up something over no, here. <laughs> tell me if I'm totally like off base here, because I was reading this this morning, and I pulled it up because like I don't have it memorized in CSB, which you know that's what we use. So Jeremiah 29, when 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 Jeremiah is talking about the exiles, and he says, mm-hmm. "Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to." Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. And kind of, I just, I, I was thinking about that this morning, that really, you know, they were in a place that wasn't home, mm-hmm. but but they're being encouraged to, you know, to at least seek the Lord in where the home, and where they are. But then the verse that we always say, and we sometimes get it out of context, mm-hmm. where it says, I know the plans I have for you, the plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. We tend to kind of put that in the place of now mm-hmm. and not the future mm-hmm. of the kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, is that, does that fit into what your, what your book is about or am I totally off base? I love that. I, I think it absolutely fits into what the book is trying to say. And I love that about the Babylonian exile too, because um, when God gives that word to the Israelites, their longing is to be back home. Their longing is to be where they should be flourishing and prospering and walking in the will of the Lord. But here they are in a foreign land. And I love that he sends them this word of comfort. I have loved that it's a reassurance. I think the way that I'm reading it is it's a reassurance that they are not outside his will. They are not yeah. outside his presence. Even there, he is mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. Even there, he will give this remnant 
um, room to flourish and room to do the things that he's created them to do. And that the longing and such living can coexist side by side, I think is essentially what we're being asked to do as Christians, Mm -hmm. no matter what age we're living in, to take what we've been given, to look forward to what is coming and know that that's not, that this is not all there is. That's our comfort, but also it's our motivation because there is the the full fruition of what is to come. Right. Um, that's coming and we have what is now, but he has also made it so that the people we are now and the things that we're doing now, the work that we're doing now, none of that will be wasted. Even that is part of the journey and the progression towards um, living with him and being shaped by him, mm-hmm. being shaped into um, more of the Christ likeness in us, I guess. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm being particularly eloquent, no, but no, as long no, as that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah. I think first of all, it's fascinating that all these different cultures have yeah. a word or a concept of these glim- glimpses from beyond, as you said, but like how interesting that they all do because it is something that we live with even like as a society, we just all have this feeling that this world is not our home, Mm -hmm. whether we know the reason why or not, we're all very kind of like uncomfortable here to some Mm -hmm. degree. Um, But I should be anyway. Yes. But at the same time, I think it's like you were saying, like in the passage, they were going to be in exile for, I think it was 70 70 years. years. Uh And God Mm -hmm. knew that they didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe he told them in the, did he, You've recently read I, this. I did they, yeah, did no, you I say that? It's in there. Yeah, okay, okay. it's in there somewhere. So, but like, I would be tempted if if I did know seventy years, mm-hmm. I would just be like, oh, well, then why are we like seventy Maybe years beyond my lifetime? Yeah, yeah, like it doesn't matter because it's outside of my lifetime, or like seventy years, I will live to that, so I don't need to worry about mm-hmm. like putting down roots here. And I think that's something that we can take. Like you said, no matter where we live, what society we live in, what time period we live in, we're in exile in a way. And so we need to still put down roots and but at the same time, live with our eyes open for these glimpses of our true home, Mm -hmm. because I think it leads us to worship. It leads us to mission to know like, hey, there's something better. There's a hope that's more beautiful and more. And we just get glimpses of it here on Earth. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's um. I think the part I love about it is that there's part of it, much of it is not formulaic. It's um, when people have this longing, it's not something that I see broken down into bullet points. It's, it, it kind of evades description, but it it kind of, mm, I guess I would say the effect seems to be that it overflows uh, the hearts of the people who experience it. it. It gives a certain kind of tenderness and depth and softness. And that's the effect that I see externally. But I feel like that is grace itself because it keeps us aware of the God that we're going home to, the God that is who is walking with us now. And it's not just about accomplishing certain works or doing certain things, but it's about how we see him changing us and how we see his work being done in us and also how we're starting to fall more in love with him. Like, I guess the parallel that I might draw is um, I have friends who move to different places and they have to move every few years. And it would be so easy, like you were saying, to um, 
just keep your framed pictures in a box and just wait for the next move. Mm -hmm. But it takes, I think, a certain kind of grit and a certain determination to make beauty and to put down roots, to put your pictures up on the wall, to decide to get to know your neighbors, to invite people over for dinner, to do all of these things that it feels like are so temporary, but it's the making of a life. And in that, it, it says so much about the expansiveness of the heart and the soul behind it. The person who is choosing to practice that life, you can see them growing almost, I think, in generosity and love and in noticing beauty and in all of these things that, um, you know, when that person is done with their circuit of military service or um, transience or whatever, that person is a different person from the person who started out at the beginning. Mm. And I think I see that happening uh, just as much, if not more, um, with the Lord and the hearts of people as I do, you know, ministry agendas getting done or anything like that. Like mm-hmm. that is the really the breathtaking part of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it can be uncomfortable, but to mm-hmm. unbox the front, you know, the pictures yeah. and and to go, OK, I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to I'm going to put down some roots. I'm going to make some friends. I'm going to do whatever. But to yes, that that is part of it. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the way you you kind of describe that and use that illustration. All right, so Elizabeth and I both talked about this. Um, we love that you have a master's degree in English literature. <laughs> um, we're we're a little bit of fellow book nerds. I would say Elizabeth mm-hmm. even more so than me. <laughs> but I would say like we wouldn't we would love to know like who are some of the authors that or artists that really inspire you. And maybe there's been some favorite books along the the way that have really influenced your own writing. Yeah. Um, Well, let's see. I think a lot of my favorites aren't necessarily the ones I studied in grad school. (laughs) But, um, well, Lewis and Tolkien are definitely favorites. Um, I would say C.S. Lewis. But but now I'm getting better at articulating why. (laughs) So for Lewis, I would say for his graciousness towards his readers and his generosity um, and his humility as he writes, his imagination and his reason, really, I think, is one of the reasons why I keep coming back to his works. Um, and Tolkien for the language and the tone that he uses and the myths that he builds, that I feel like is still unparalleled, and I, you know, I love that about him. But um, other artists and authors I've loved along the way, I'm probably like the Beowulf poet Shakespeare. Um, I'm kind of drawn in recent years. I've been kind of drawn to authors who can take really simple language but put it together in very poignant mm-hmm. ways. So I, I guess I'd be thinking of uh, Anthony Doerr and Patricia McLaughlin, um, Kate DiCamillo, Naomi Shihab Nye, Robert Frost, Ann Porter. I mean, a lot of those are poets too, but um, I don't know what it is that catches me about that really. I think I, yeah, I just yeah. kind of admire that they can take plain words they're not looking these are not people who are you know rifling through the thesaurus they're they're taking very plain words but putting them together in such beautiful and evocative ways Mm -hmm. that I find myself admiring uh that about them but what about you all yeah yeah I I don't know well you mentioned like plain words and poetry and Billy Collins is one of my favorites because he is just like he's, he's right in there. A poet of the people, kind of. I mm-hmm. feel like he writes poetry about mundane things, but it's in a way that makes you like smile or laugh or kind of um even tear up sometimes, but it's very yeah. simple. I also love, like you mentioned, Anne of Green Gables. I love Lucy Maud Montgomery and mm-hmm. um Louisa May Alcott, like oh, little women. I was gonna say that's yeah. probably still yeah. one of my That's like my favorite. But yeah. also 
beautiful writing is like East of Eden by Steinbeck. Like that's mm. gorgeous writing. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot. I could go on for days about books that have influenced me because <laughs> yeah, I was an English, I was an English writing say. major, but I still lo- read a lot. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would be it. stuck. I would have, I would have to kind of think through it. It would be like, yeah, but yeah. De- definitely Louisa May Alcott would be probably one of, one of mine at the yeah. top when I think of just maybe as a girl, you know, mm-hmm. when I read that, that was just a little bit like, yeah, that you just kind of want that. Does... I had a professor in college that we would go around, like the English department would have get togethers or something. And they would always ask like, who's your favorite, like tell your name and like what year you are <laughs> and who your favorite yeah. author is or what your favorite book is. And I would say little women or in green Gable, like, or, Really, Story Girl by Anne, uh, Lucy Maud Montgomery is my favorite over Anne. But I would mm-hmm. say one of those. And um, my one of my professors was like, you always kind of like apologize when you say it. He said, don't uh-huh. apologize for that. He was like, those women have written very good books. He was like, you just think that they're inferior because they're for young adults or whatever. And uh-huh. he was like, they're not. Like, they're right. legitimate works of art. Like, don't oh, apologize. And I was wonderful. like, I love that he said that. And he was like a very yeah. serious, like, poetry professor uh-huh. um and just yeah so I love I love those kinds of things and like children's books are so fun yeah there's yeah. I think there's like it takes a special person to be a children's author because they do have to, to be to a use, good one yes because they do <laughs> well they have to have such they do have to use simple language economy of language mm-hmm. it's like a poem. right yeah well, we've, yeah. we've also talked a lot about Sally Lloyd-Jones. Yes. When we had her on the podcast, yes. we were, yeah. Elizabeth yeah. and I were just like, we have Sally Lloyd-Jones on <laughs> We were very <laughs> much fangirling over that. We were, yeah. we were a little bit of that. She is sure. wonderful. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. I love that your professor said that, too. Yes. I think mm-hmm. that really bears saying. I was just reading Natalie Perkins' Steeped in Stories the other day, mm-hmm. and she makes, that's a whole book where she makes the argument for why adults should read children's books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and she goes through seven favorite authors and I love that yeah I agree there are so many children's books that have like stood the test of time and are um some of them I think they're actually written for the parents that are reading these to their children because I'm like this Mm -hmm. concept is kind of going to be over the kid's head (laughs) but it's like so beautiful and that's the way to convey it so yeah I love uh Margaret Wise Brown Goodnight Moon that is like a classic that's so well written Yeah. yeah I feel like I would like to be in a book club with you and Amy. Like I feel yes. like it would stretch me too. <laughs> yeah, I've, that would I would be love that. <laughs> yeah, we can do that over Zoom. Okay. Yes, yes, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> All right, so I think a lot of people. We talked about books. We talked about writing, and I, I, I think a lot of people, especially like women who maybe didn't, and they weren't English majors. They were um, business majors or marketing right. majors or or whatever. They may not see themselves as creative. However, mm-hmm. Andrew Peterson has told us that everyone is creative, um, and that's mm-hmm. the way we one of the ways we image God. So, how can we change that narrative and encourage people to develop creativity in their everyday work? Mm. Are you asking for practical ideas? Or? Yes, both, both yeah. practical <laughs> and theological or wherever yeah. the rest yeah. of that sentence is. Yeah. 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 Philosophically. Yes, yeah. philosophical. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. I love what Andrew Peterson says about 
not making creative a noun mm. as if that is an office mm-hmm. that you hold or something mm-hmm. that you have to earn, but it's, you know, it ought to be an adjective. It ought yeah. to be a verb to create because when we create, we're doing so in the image of a creator God. We are living out that portion of mm. ourselves that uh, reflects him. Um, but when it comes to practical means, I think um, one, I guess, philosophical um <laughs> emphasis we need to put more emphasis on it i think in the church mm-hmm. that creating that and i think we're getting better at it these days in the church that um, serving god doesn't mean that you automatically become a pastor or a missionary and that's basically all of the choice that you have right. but that you can do so as a poet that you can do so as a chef or a writer or a painter mm-hmm. um, because when we look at i think on a personal level, it helps to step back and look at the works that have affected you. Mm. So when you think of the things that have kind of pierced your own armor, um, snuck past the watchful dragons, I guess, as Lewis would say, and, um, and kind of taken you by surprise and buried themselves in your heart, they tend to be stories or works of art mm-hmm. or, um, or even just a, an act of kindness creatively done that somebody once did for you. And I think if we look at those things we start to realize the kind of impact that our lives can have upon other lives in the smallest things. Um, And then I guess, yes, so going back to the practical level, I've been, I've had the gift of serving um, an arts guild for a little while here in our community. And we, I noticed that one of the things that changed the demeanor of people as they came into the arts guild was that we would start every meeting. We still do. We start every meeting, um, guild-wide meeting, introducing ourselves, and then we're forced to say what it is that is our main, you know, art-making mode. So I have to sit there and say, my name is Amy. I'm a, you know, and you stop. (laughs) And you have to say writer or poet or silversmith or painter. And the fact that people have to say that month after month I think there really was a change that was affected by that because you have to start to live into it. You have to start to bring your work that reflects it. And just the this, this sheer simple act of introducing yourself that way, um, it it makes you own up to the fact that this work is a part of what you are doing in the world and what you are doing as a Christ follower. So I see little practices like that, you know, shaping the way that we think of ourselves and our work. And I think... One of the things, I guess this last thing I'll mention, um, I was recently talking with a singer-songwriter friend, and we were talking about the people whose work had affected us. And it wasn't so much that those people had won awards or done something, you know, absolutely sweeping in their fields, but just the fact that they were doing a beautiful work Mm -hmm. or taking a project and continuing with it enabled the people who are watching to say, I didn't know there was room in the world for things like that. Mm. I didn't know you could write a book in that language. I didn't know that you could write songs like this or, you know, come out with three albums like this. There are people who are actually paying attention. Mm. And it made me really think about how just the simple fact that when you are creative, you are sparking or inspiring somebody. And it may be, you know, your child or the person next to you or your best friend the fact that you're doing it shows that there's room for that and that our God is a God of so many, his glory is so multifaceted. It takes so many shapes. Um, I 
think simply existing and doing that work is a testimony to who he is and why it's worth pursuing it. Yeah, I know I've seen, I, I remember that feeling of seeing, and I can't think of who it was right now at this moment, but seeing somebody do something and I was just like, oh, like that is so, I would have never thought about putting these two talents together in this way and just Mm -hmm. kind of like even though you know those may or may not be your same talents but just like oh if they can do that then I could do this thing that I've Mm -hmm. been thinking about or um and we've talked a lot about we talked to a lot of women's ministry leaders women's bible Mm -hmm. study authors and speakers and they talk about seeing another woman teaching a bible study and they were like oh I could do that like and so I think Mm -hmm. there's those reflections in the creativity as well of like oh I really like to do this one act. Like I really like to make things with clay or I really like to do this. Oh, maybe I could do that with coupled with this other thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that's such a powerful thing to think through. Like not only how can I use my creativity, but also like what, who's, who's out there using their creativity to inspire. And how could that be an inspiration to others? I'm thinking of women who, can quilt or mm-hmm. they can garden or just take flowers and make a be- I mean like all these different things that yeah. of just mm-hmm. creating something that that mm-hmm. really reflects even just the beauty of God and and a little taste of of what he is yeah. and so we were talking about it um recently at my church in um, Exodus when it talks about mm-hmm. building the tabernacle and there are these men that God has given, and I forget the exact phrase, like, yeah, but God they've... has placed it on their hearts to mm-hmm. make mm-hmm. these, um, like, like the craftsmen, the craftsmen. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like these, the jewelry and the mm-hmm. robes and, and just how much time is spent talking about all of those things. And I was just like, God could have I mean, they could have just said, then they built the temple. It was beautiful. Yes. Done. But, like, it names yeah. the the guys mm-hmm. that, like, are put into this position to be creative in this way. And I think <laughs> that's such a testimony of, like, yeah. um, God using the gifts and the talents that he has given for his mm-hmm. glory. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's always fun. I always... I think their name, one of the guys' like, names is like Boz something, and I, I'm always like, yeah. Boz, you know. <laughs> yeah. I give people nicknames in the Bible <laughs> sometimes <laughs> if I can't remember their names or can't pronounce I want to say it starts with a B and an O, but I could be. Yeah, I B-O, think you're right. I can't like, remember. Yeah. Um, Boz and Oho or yeah, something. Something, yeah, like something like that. Yeah. yeah, we can look it up. Yeah, for we'll, sure. we'll look it up Those later. Good nicknames <laughs> for them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Oh, okay, we'll get serious here for a second. Amy. <laughs> so our, our last question that we always ask our guests is that we really, because we're the Marked Podcast, is we want to know, is there something that has marked you in your walk with Christ? Yeah. Um, I would say the theme of redemption. Mm-hmm. I think... Um, the further I go, realizing how badly it is that I've messed up at certain stages in my life, but seeing what he's done with that and being so awed by it that I think that awe continues to transform how I take the next step forward and how I hopefully more and more am learning to really fix my eyes on him instead of myself. But I see that playing out in almost everything, I would say, marriage and having kids and raising them and writing and all of that. All of those have, uh, I I would say, every single one of those chapters has involved some mode of falling on my face and realizing that I've completely 
failed or I'm about to fail and having to surrender it and then watching him bring life out of that. So I would say that's probably what I'm most marked by. That's awesome. Well, we we told you this before we started the recording, um, but Elizabeth and I can't wait to get our hands on your book, The Homeward yes. Ache is the name of it again. And Elizabeth, this homeward, like, this, the, homeward. this homeward ache, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I do have my glasses on. I'm looking. Um, but yeah, Elizabeth, you kind of, we were talking about just what one of the editors told you. It was just so the, beautiful. One of yeah. the most beautiful books she's ever uh, edited. So oh, wow. yes, we're excited. We can't wait to read it. Yeah. Um, and you can read it too. Uh, listeners um it's not available just yet but you can go ahead and pre-order it and we'll have links in our show notes to that but you can go to lifeway.com and search this homeward ache Mm -hmm. and find it um and pre-order it and then it'll be at your house yeah like in a couple weeks that's right yeah so amy thank you so much for being part of the mark podcast today and thank you listeners for joining us again this week and we hope you'll be back next week Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heineman. Use the hashtag MarkedPodcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time. Home should be a place where we feel at peace, where we can be ourselves, where we feel loved. For a lot of us, though, home is a place of heartache, hurt, and loneliness. As believers, Christ promises us an eternal home. But what does that actually look like? And how do we deal with our current homesickness? I recently wrote a Bible study called Come Home for Women, and I'm so excited that Come Home will also be available for teen girls. It's perfect for small groups, helps girls answer important questions, and gives us a richer understanding of what kind of home God's building for us. The release date for Come Home for teen girls is August 1st, but you can pre-order it now at lifeway.com slash come home. Don't miss out on this opportunity to help girls belong and be loved. Again, you can pre-order it today at lifeway.com slash come home.